right, welcome in. Welcome in, everybody, to episode number 121 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. It's a pleasure to have you with me this week, as it is each and every Saturday, as we continue to march through Pride Month. That's right, two more weeks left in June, so get your fun in now. Uh, I am, my bank account is drained, I am emotionally drained, and over the next two weeks, it will be interesting to see what hit zero first, the amount of money in my bank account or the amount of serotonin I have left in my body. I guess we'll see. That's what Pride Month is all about, right? Trying new things. Uh, But welcome into the show. Great to have you with me, as I mentioned. Hopefully you enjoyed the interview we had last week with Michael Powell of the New York Times, who wrote that really great uh, in-depth feature story on Leah Thomas, trans inclusion, and the future of women's sports. Uh, I'm a journalist geek, so I love conversations like that, talking about the nuts and bolts of how you report a story of that magnitude. And it's just proven, as we continue to go through the weeks here, it really is a powder keg issue, trans inclusion in sports. You have this atmosphere where one side feels, and I would say rightfully so, feels attacked and in danger by straight-up hate that's happening on the right side of the political aisle, but there also is a room for some nuance in the conversation as well. Someone like Martina Navratilova has some questions about trans inclusion in sports, and especially in elite-level sports, and you know where you draw certain lines, and as we were talking about last week with Michael, I mean, no one would mistake Martina Navratilova for some, you know, right-wing zealot. Uh, she's quite the opposite of that. So uh, it's such a complicated debate, and what makes it hard to write about or even talk about is the fact that you have, as I said, just these two powder keg sides waiting to explode. But uh, they already have exploded, frankly. And the most disappointing thing about it, as well as, is that. There's no good conversation happening as a result. Everyone is just talking at each other. Nobody is talking to each other. And unfortunately, I'm not sure how and if that changes, especially in the near future, given just our our insane political climate right now. Uh, and I mentioned that at the start of the show because we're going to close the show this week with a similar note, uh, just about the insane and vitriolic and really, I think, horrible culture that we have uh, pertaining to a lot of these issues. Uh, The Red Sox held their Pride Night this past Wednesday. I attended along with 70-some-odd members of my flag football league. It was a great night, but what was not so great was seeing a lot of the social media replies to the Red Sox posts about Pride Night, and I have some thoughts on that that I will share at the end of the episode. So stay tuned. I I think it's going to be worth it, but you know, I hope I I should say that, right? Because I'm the one who's going to be saying them, but uh Anyway, a few things I want to talk about before uh, we get to that here on this week's show. And let's start off with a really good, heartwarming story. How about that? Because we don't have enough of that these days either. Uh, Maybelle Blair is the inspiration behind the iconic film A League of Their Own, which was released in 1992. A League of Their Own, of course, chronicles the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League which was started up when the U.S. entered World War II. Many Major League Baseball stars were drafted to serve overseas, so some Major League Baseball owners started the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. It lasted from 1943 to 1952, and as I mentioned, the movie A League of Their Own about that, I'm sure you've seen it, and Maybelle Blair was one of the players who was most responsible for the inspiration behind that film. I mentioned Maybelle Blair because, well, she's still alive and kicking at 95 years young, 
And she publicly came out this week. That's right. At the Tribeca Festival, Maybelle Blair, 95 years old, came publicly came out as gay. Uh, she was speaking at the Tribeca Festival to promote the Amazon series titled A League of Their Own. What's that about? The All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, as you would surmise. And I just think that Maybelle Blair had just such a beautiful message uh, you know, for, for anyone out there listening, saying, I think it's a great opportunity for these young ball players to realize they're not alone and you don't have to hide. I hid for 75, 85 years. This is actually basically the first time I've ever come out. I mean, come on. How can you, how does your heart not melt when you hear that? She also had some advice for some young gay athletes, girls. There is a life for you and follow it. I got into a lot of trouble with some of those ball players. And now decades later, she's free to tell some of those stories. And it just shows you that it's never too late to come out. It's never too late to be yourself. 95 years old. And just to, at that age, to have the, it, it still makes a difference, right? To be able to live publicly, live openly. So that's a great story. Maybelle Blair, one of the inspirations behind the League of Their Own, publicly came out this week at 95. Um, a couple of good baseball stories too this week, because why not? Last week I spent a lot of time, and I think rightfully so, talking about the Tampa Bay Rays and that whole uh, incident, that whole snafu at their Pride Night a couple weeks back where at least six pitchers refused to wear the special Pride logos and just the beyond insulting explanation that they gave for that, you know. They're not looking down on us by any stretch. They actually want us to feel loved and welcomed, but they didn't wear the pride patch because they don't want to encourage our behavior, you know, encourage our choice. Like, yeah, okay. So, you know, we love you and respect you and and, and, and accept you, but we just don't want to encourage what you do. Mm, yeah, I totally see how those two ideas go hand in hand, right? Well, Liam Hendricks is the uh, star closer for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he's very demonstrative on the mound, and he's just as passionate about his support of LGBTQ rights. He had a great interview this week with The Athletic talking about uh, his role in the White Sox annual Pride Night and how signing with a team that hosted a Pride Night was actually one of his requests in free agency. Yes, this is what Liam Hendricks said. He would tell any team, that he was negotiating with. Quote, it wasn't a demand. It was a simple question of, do you guys have a pride night? And if you don't, that will be something that we need to look into. Um, it's because I don't want to necessarily go to a team that doesn't do it. So that's great, number one. I mean, talk about that. That Liam Hendricks says, he's one of the better closers in baseball. He says that one of the prerequisites to him to sign for with a team was whether or not they hosted a Pride Night. So that's number one. Number two, Hendricks raises the White Sox Pride flag before their Pride Night every season. And he also elaborated on what it means for him to raise that flag. He says, quote, it's something that I've believed in. The biggest thing is making sure that hopefully it starts more of a trend of other people being willing to do it. And then the more people that are willing to do it, the more people are willing to come up publicly and say, I'm fine with this. And I'm hoping it strengthens the resolve of those people who may be on the fence about coming out, that may be on the fence of telling family, friends, peers, or teammates, 
or anything like that and fully embrace it. And that is right on the money. And it's a great quote from Liam Hendricks. And it really illustrates the power of allyship because allies, straight allies, do play a big role in promoting LGBTQ inclusion and LGBTQ rights. As Hendricks said, the more people who are willing to come out and not just, you know, take part in perfunctory Pride Night celebrations, but the more athletes who are actively supporting and actively promoting their Pride Nights. Mark Kana of the New York Mets is a great example. He's an outfielder for the Mets, and he was tweeting all week about their Pride Night, which happened last night, Friday. One of his Twitter messages was, where are all my beautiful LGBTQ people at? You're going to be at Pride Night? More stuff like that. We need more Mark Kanas. We need more Liam Hendrixes. And if we had more of them, as Liam Hendricks said, fewer athletes would feel pressured to stay in the closet because more and more people would outwardly be coming out and supporting them. And it really it would represent this inverse reality because the reality on the ground now, in so many cases, is you're playing on a, on a team, and this applies to high school, college, rec level, what have you, pro level to an extent, college, you know, you're you're playing on a team, let's say a male team, and I'll stick it to men because the women are light years ahead in a lot of this stuff, but you're on, let's say, the basketball team, and what do you hear your teammates say? You hear them saying homophobic slurs. You hear them tossing out these words in casual conversation. And then at Outsports, we tell the stories a lot where they build up the courage, they come out, and then they find out that they're loved, they're embraced, and it's a huge relief off their shoulders. But they're afraid to come out because that's the kind of talk they hear leading up to it. A lot of casual homophobic slurs. What Liam Hendricks is proposing is the opposite of that. He's proposing an environment where if you're a closeted player, a closeted athlete, you're playing on a team, and you hear your teammates embracing LGBTQ pride. You don't hear your teammates casually throwing out anti-gay slurs. And if that was the environment, I bet you a lot of athletes would feel a lot less afraid about coming out, right? It makes sense. It's not, it's because, because yes, it is supportive when they come out. We find that time and time again, but wouldn't it be great if that fear wasn't there? And a big part of Allaying that those fears, alleviating those fears, is creating a more welcoming environment. And you do that not just by stepping out on the Pride Night once per year, but you do that by actively engaging and actively supporting the LGBTQ community, as Liam Hendricks does so well, and as Kevin Euclid does too. Kevin Euclid is a two-time World Series champion, three-time All-Star. I'd call him a Red Sox great. And, you know, I think Euclid... I talked with him this week ahead of the Red Sox Pride Night, and he gave me some really great quotes about what LGBTQ inclusion means, and I think this one right here, again, hits a nail on the head, ties right into what I was saying about Liam Hendricks. He says, honestly, it's not even about the celebration. It's what you do after the celebration. We'll have these nights, or we'll do all this stuff, and it's not revisited until a year later. How are you living your personal life? Being inclusive is not about having a night or having a day or having a month. 
It's more the way you live your life and the lifestyle you want to live. Here, here, right? I mean, it's great that Pride Nights are now ubiquitous across pro sports. Every Major League Baseball team is hosting one this season, with one shameful exception, the Rangers. As I've said before on the show, there is power in the symbolism of seeing your favorite athlete wear pride caps, such as every player in the Dodgers or Giants, and other rainbow-colored items. It shows that LGBTQ people are welcome on the field. But as Euclid says so well, symbols or slogans without corresponding action are hollow. It's a lifestyle. How do you treat people on a daily basis? How do you talk to people on a daily basis? And Euclid also said this. Uh, he told me he's pretty certain that he played with a gay teammate during his 11-year big league career because, well, the numbers say he probably did. And Euclid said, if I ever played with anybody... I wish they would have felt comfortable enough to let me know that so I could be there to stick up for them. And that is also what we need to hear more straight allies say. Not just, oh yeah, it's cool, man. Same to me. It's no. It, not, it isn't just cool with me, but I'm going to actively stick up for you. I'm not going to sit there in silence. I'm going to actively defend you. And if more closeted athletes knew that someone like Kevin Euclid was sitting beside them in the locker room, I bet you there would be less trepidation about coming out too. Not just, oh, you know, we accept you and support you. That's great, man. You know, tap you on the back and let's get back at it. But we accept you, we support you, we love you, and we are going to be there and stick up for you. That is another message that needs to be said more and more as well. So Liam Hendricks, Kevin Euclid, I say bravo to you guys. If only you could have spoken to the Tampa Bay Rays before their Pride Night disaster a couple of weeks ago. So I mentioned that I spoke to Kevin Euclid for a story on OutSports before Red Sox Pride Night this past Wednesday. I did attend uh, the event at Fenway Park. It was a great night. I went with a lot of friends from my football league, as I mentioned, and only the gays would turn like a casual Wednesday night baseball pregame into a circuit party. I walk into Caskin Flagon, which for those who don't know is one of the more iconic bars right out right right out of Fenway. It's like 5:30, 5:45 again on a Wednesday, and I hear the circuit music blasting. And I go, "Oh, yep. There are the gays right there in the back." I mean, unbelievable. These people are insatiable, I tell you. But it was a great night on the right field roof deck. Uh just super fun. And the pregame festivities I loved as well. Uh, The Red Sox had top chef Tiffany uh, Faison throughout the first pitch. Sweet Cheeks, one of the best barbecue places around for my money. Uh, So there you go. There's that free plug there. Um, And she was accompanied by three drag queens. Uh, Tiffany Faison was when she threw out the first pitch. And the funny thing is, I remember watching the pregame ceremonies on one of the TVs on the right field deck. And all the people around me were saying, like, ah, oh, like, I guess it's cool that drag queens are here, but man, these are pretty tame queens, don't you think? I mean, this is real G-rated stuff. I actually thought the ceremony was pretty subdued in comparison to past years, to tell you the truth. But, oh boy. Uh, the Red Sox then tweeted out a photo on Twitter from their Pride Night celebrations. One of the pictures featured Tiffany and the three drag queens. And this tweet sparked an avalanche of online vitriol 
There were 207 quote tweets as of this recording, hundreds of replies, and so many of them were not just negative and were not just nasty, but were downright vitriolic, downright venomous. Grooming night at Fenway is what a number of people tweeted out. Another sampling. Anyone anyone who thinks this is okay or family-friendly seriously needs to get their heads checked out. This is disgusting, is a refrain that you uh, read, uh, read quite a bit. And the drag queens really spurred all of this. They've become a huge target on the right for some reason. Uh, it's been going around Twitter the last few weeks with these right-wing trolls filming drag queen story hours at local libraries. Uh, five Proud Boys, Proud Boys, a far-right group, disrupted a drag queen story hour in California this week. One of the men was wearing a t-shirt with an image of an AK-47 in the middle with the words, kill your local pedophile, plastered above it. We had white nationalists, 31 of them, arrested at a Pride event in northern Idaho last weekend. Police found a smoke grenade in their car. They appeared ready to crash the events and riot. I mean, this stuff goes beyond words. They are now showing up to Pride events and they're looking to riot and they're looking to threaten and they're looking to incite violence. I mean, especially given the recent spate of mass shootings we've had across the U.S. I mean, these Proud Boys go into a drag queen story hour at a library in California and one of the guys is wearing a shirt with a big AK-47 in the middle of it and kill your pedophile written, a uh, kill your local pedophile written above it. I mean, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that we may have an atmosphere one day or a situation where one of these guys doesn't just wear a shirt with an AK-47 that says kill your local pedophile, but actually does it, right? I mean, Pulse happened, uh, you know, just a few years ago. And it's uh, and it seems like the environment is just swarming with that. And I just I just found the vitriol attached to these Red Sox tweets to be so horrible and so sad and just really leaves me seething with anger because number one, the whole drag queen, it's just just the notion, you know, grooming, grooming that groomers night at Fenway. What does that phrase infer? It infers pedophilia. It infers that drag queens or those support drag queens are pedophiles when they're just artists and they have more creativity in their pinky fingers than any of these right-wing trolls have in their entire bodies. So that's number one. And it's just, and somebody is going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get seriously injured. This is not okay, and it is just downright disgusting, and it's just picking on people who are expressing themselves, it's picking on people who are performing and having a good time, and that's the thing that really bothered me about the Red Sox Pride Night pushback. I was there, as I said, at the park, and it was nothing more than just a nice night where people who usually don't feel welcomed at sporting events 
felt welcomed to go to Fenway for a night and enjoy the game. That's all that was. Why in the world would you possibly have a problem with that? And then the comeback is, well, we don't have a problem with pride. We just had a problem with these drag queens. I mean, kids were in attendance. All right, fine. So take away the drag queens. You would still have a problem with pride night. Then it would turn to, why do they have to fly the rainbow flag? Or, all right, I have no problem with pride night, but why do the gays have to be so loud? You know, children are in the stands. And I was sitting next to a couple, you know, who were, who were hugging, holding hands. I mean, it just... Do you see that slippery slope? So, okay, it's not the drag queens, and it's going to be something else, and it's going to be something else, and it's going to be something else. Just be honest. You don't like gay people, and now it was relatively dormant for a few years. I'm talking about the attacks on gay people, you know, but it is now ratcheted up to levels that I don't know if I've seen in my adult life, frankly, the amount of vitriol that's out there in these online super right-wing communities, but... And I don't usually let Twitter upset me, but as I just told you, this is not just stuff that trolls are saying online. They are disrupting pride events. They are showing up to drag queen events with shirts with AK-47s on them, threatening violence. That's a situation we live in now. And I just don't, I just can't for the life of me understand why a pride night, which again, is just all about people who don't usually feel comfortable going to a sporting event, going to the park and enjoying themselves. I just why why does that bother you so much? What are you afraid of? How insecure are you that you're afraid of a drag queen? It's just it's just sad. It's really sad. And we give all the more credit to teams like the Red Sox and other teams that continue to promote and push these pride nights despite all of this pushback and not just pride nights, but as Euclid was saying, do more every other day of the year. So, yeah, I, I I really don't. I mean, in my ripe old age of 29, I really don't like to let Twitter bother me. I really don't. I try to stay off of it as much as possible. I mean, I'm reading it all the time, but, you know, interacting and engaging, I really try to curtail that. But it just, that struck me. And I'm like, and this is Boston as well. I mean, this is really how some people think out there. That's scary. That is scary. Uh, so, yeah, just scary stuff out there. But I'm glad I was able to share some positive stuff for you all this week as well. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 220, uh, 121. Oh my goodness, I jumped ahead 100 episodes. Yeesh. We will get there one day, but not yet. It is episode 121 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you have any show ideas, guest ideas, topic ideas, you know how to find me. My Twitter DMs are open against my better judgment. At AlexRemer1 is my username. That again is at AlexRemer1. So long. I'll talk to you next Friday. Or next Saturday, rather.